please, this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 10. The 10th chapter of John's Gospel. And uh, she'll read a well-known verse. John's Gospel, chapter 10, and reading verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. I am come that you might have. I am come that you might have. These simple words of Jesus are very profound because they completely demolish the argument that Satan spreads. And we hear it all the time that somehow if we turn our life to God, uh, we will be diminished, shortchanged, that we will lose much in this life if we do that, that God's demands upon us will be so great that we'll end up miserable. We'll have to give up so much that there'll be nothing left for ourselves. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have. The emphasis on the have. That you might have. That you might have. There's a few things about that that I want us to consider this morning. In fact, maybe reconsider this morning. First thing is this. No matter how much a man has, he needs more than what he's got. Now notice I didn't say he needs more of what he's got. I said he needs more than what he's got. Christ can look a billionaire in the eye and say, I have come that you might have. But the rich man may say, I have everything I need. I have companies I have business interest all over the world. I have houses and lands and cars and yachts and a helicopter and maybe even an airplane. In fact, I have so much money, I could not spend it in 10 lifetimes. But Jesus could say, but sir, do you have peace in your heart? Do you have a clear conscience? Do you sleep well at night? And above all things, do you have provision for your eternal, never-dying soul? I am come that you might have. Here's another man. He's a religious man, a learned doctor. He's PhD'd, he's DD'd, he's collared, he's gowned, he's regaled, he's educated, he's academic, he knows all about homiletics and hermeneutics and apologetics. He knows all about theology. In fact, he knows everything except the forgiveness of sins. He knows everything except the salvation of his soul. He knows everything except the saving grace of God. So therefore, Christ can come to that man and say, I have come that you might have. 
Do you remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? And Jesus talked to him about the law. He says, all these things I've kept from my youth up, which is a very bold statement to make. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. I am come that you might have one thing you lack. The very nature of God is to give. God's propensity towards man is liberality, is generosity, is abundance. I've come that you might have. I remember a few years ago, I uh, was in Belfast. I was listening to uh, Edgar Mitchell, who was the Apollo 14 astronaut who landed on the moon. In fact, he was the sixth man to walk on the moon. He spent nine hours and one minute on the moon. And uh, after he did his talk, it was open to question and answers. And somebody says, uh, Mr. Mitchell, what was the highlight of your trip to the moon? Fully expecting, he would say, either the journey there or more likely when he was actually on the moon. But it was none of those things. He said, to tell you the truth, the most exciting part, the best part, the most memorable part was not actually standing on the moon, was on the return journey from the moon. How so? He says, well, by that time, all of our NASA tests that we had to do on the moon was over. He says, we hadn't got one minute for ourselves. Busy, 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 busy. Very limited time space. But he says, we had three days on the return journey and everything had been done and we could totally relax and look out the capsule window and he says, look at that, as he described it, that blue-green orb hanging in the blackness of space, that planet that we call Earth, where I was going home to, and thought, what an amazing place to live. And that came from the lips of an astronaut who was not saved, who did not know the Lord, who I don't think even believes in God, but he was awed and amazed at the beauty and the wonder of this planet whom we know God made for us, for mankind. And what a wonderful place God has given us in all of the universe. He has given us to dwell in. A place of great beauty. How generous God is to do this for us. Give us air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, mountains to climb, rivers and oceans to cross, great prairies to look at. What a wonderful place to be. Flowers to smell, animals to enjoy, sights that amaze us. And of course, the great diversity of humanity, which is fantastic, isn't it? And so God has done that out of his generosity, out of his whole bounty, he has given us all things to enjoy, the Bible says. I am come that you might have. The generosity, the abundance of God's giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He turned water into wine. All 160 gallons. <laughs> 
And that's when the wedding was coming to an end. But he was so generous, wasn't he? Feeding 5,000 men besides women and children. And such was his abundance that there was 12 baskets picked up that was left over. More, much more than enough. Exceeding. And exceedingly are words that are used in Scripture repeatedly to describe the generosity of God. I, I think that sometimes we, and myself, I think that we forget how generous God has been and how great He is to the sons of men. In Genesis 15 and 1, God said to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. Numbers 14 and 7. Joshua said, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Psalm 43, 4 speaks of the exceeding joy. Jesus said in Matthew 5, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Proverbs 30, 24 speaks of exceeding wisdom. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, exceeding weight of glory. Ephesians 1.19, exceeding greatness of His power. 2 Corinthians 9.14, exceeding grace of God. Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know, often Paul, when he was writing, he ran out of words to describe what he wanted to say. And he used superlatives he used words that was more than you would normally use. Not that he was exaggerating because it was the truth, but it was superlative. In Ephesians 3.20, he actually mixed up a word. And often he would do this. He would join words together. He was so thrilled and excited about the goodness of God. And when he uses this word exceedingly abundantly, these two words, it's hyperac. Periosus, hooper ak periosus. He joins words together. And hooper means over. And ak, ek means out of or from. And periosus, well, that word means super abundance. So if you put all that together, he's saying from out of his overflowing, abounding, super abundance. He could almost can't think of enough words to describe the goodness of God and the generosity of God. And then he makes this into a kind of a pyramid, a, a sort of a scriptural pyramid. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Think of that as a little pyramid for a moment. Now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think, above all that we ask or think, abundantly above all that we ask or think, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You can see he's struggling to describe the abundance and the generosity of our God. And 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 Verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight 
of glory. So he starts off with glory and then weight of glory and then exceeding, sorry, and then eternal weight of glory and then exceeding and eternal weight of glory and then more exceeding eternal weight of glory and then a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And he has to stop there because he can't think of any more superlatives to describe the abundance and the generosity of our God. Isaiah 55 and 7 says that God's pardon is abundant. He will abundantly pardon. That's generous, isn't it? Often we begrudgingly pardon if we're truthful. But God abundantly pardons. Ephesians 3.19, his love passes knowledge. How can you describe the love of God? How can you describe love anyway? Hmm? How can you detail it? How can you quantify it? How can you do that? It's very difficult, isn't it? That's why we say we love from our heart, not from our head. It's more than just something we think, isn't it? It's something that's deep within us. How much more the love of God? How do you explain the love of God? We can't, but we accept it and we receive it and we rejoice and we're blessed in it because His love passes all human knowledge. It's beyond our capacity to fully understand. 2 Corinthians 9.15, his gift of salvation is unspeakable. And those two chapters, 8 and 9, where Paul is speaking about offerings that were to be given back to the church at Jerusalem. After he speaks two whole chapters, an offering and one offering, then he puts it all into perspective. And right at the end of it, he says, but thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift <laughs> couldn't even think of any more ways to describe that Ephesians 3 and 8 the riches of Christ are unsearchable In Ephesians Paul speaks of riches five times of fullness three times of glory eight times of inheritance four times of grace 12 times, of filled or filled four times, and in Christ, or similar phrases, 27 times. The letter to the Ephesians is one of the greatest letters in the entire Bible. It should be a letter that you're very, very familiar with. Two of Paul's greatest prayers are in Ephesians. And if you personalize them, if you take his prayer for the church at Ephesus and personalize it for your own life, let me tell you, it makes all the difference in how you read it. It really does. In the bank of God, we can draw upon the fullness of God, Ephesians 3.19, or the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 4.13, or the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. There's fullness in God. There's fullness in Christ. There's fullness in the Holy Spirit. Much more than we have right now. Potentially. It's there. It's all there for us. 
But in practical terms, would you not agree that we're not actually living in all the fullness that he's got for us? We're still trying to attain, aren't we? Well, at least we're in good company for the Apostle Paul says he was still trying to attain, wasn't he? He says, I haven't fully reached all that, haven't fully apprehended, haven't fully laid my hand on everything that God has apprehended me for, that God has laid his hand on me for. I haven't fully got there. But he says, I'm striving after. I'm following after. Because there's more. Romans 8, 17, we're heirs and we're joint heirs with Christ. Galatians 3, we're made heirs according to the promise. Titus 3, made heirs according to the hope. Hebrews 1, made heirs of salvation. Hebrews 11, made heirs of righteousness. James 2 and 5, made heirs of the kingdom. 1 Peter 3, made heirs of grace. What an inheritance We've been made heirs of all of these things. All of that is ours in Christ. Glory to God. Do you believe that today? Are you following after everything that God has got for you? Because he's got more for you than you can ever even imagine. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can even ask or even think it's beyond our capacity to fully grasp everything. But it's all there for us. That's why the Bible says it's going to take all of eternity of eternities for God to show his grace to us because it's so great and so vast. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Thief here is klepto. And this is where we get our English word kleptomaniac. You know what a kleptomaniac is? Somebody who can't stop stealing. They just can't stop it. They are driven, obsessed with stealing that which doesn't belong to them. At every opportunity, they will thieve. They will steal anything. You'd be surprised what people will steal out of a charity shop. Not right, girls. They'll take something worth 50p and they'll slip it into their handbag or into their pocket. Wouldn't believe it. Can you imagine sinning your soul for 50p? <laughs> I remember one time I went to uh, Edenmore Golf Club and I was to play with a friend. I wasn't a member, but he was, which meant you got a little bit cheaper if you played with a member. And, uh, and I've done this many times. And the gentleman behind the counter had seen me many times with my friend. But I went this morning, it was a little bit early. My friend was a little bit late. And so I went in, as usual, and I said to the gentleman, I'm playing with brother so-and-so today. I didn't say, brother, I'm playing with so-and-so today. He was a brother, but I didn't say that to him. <laughs> and uh, I'm playing with so-and-so today. And he says, is he here yet? I says, no, not yet, but he will be here in a moment or two. I says, well, just wait till he's here just to see. Now, this man's a Christian that I was talking to. 
And I said, do you think, sir, that I would send my soul for a fiver? Because that's what it was going to cost me. Oh, well, I've done well. Because <laughs> I says, that's what you're implying. Oh, well, that's okay. I says, no, we'll just wait. We'll wait till my friend comes along. Then we'll be absolutely sure. There'll be no mistaking. <laughs> he never did that on me again, by the way. <laughs> but you know, I could have been sending my soul for a fiver for all he knew. He doesn't know me personally. He's seen me many times, but he doesn't know me personally. He doesn't know who I am. But a kleptomaniac is somebody, if they're in your house, they'll be looking all around to see when you're out of the room what they could lift. If they're in a store, they're looking all around to see what they can put in their pocket when the shopkeeper's not looking. If they're in the workplace, they're always nicking stuff and taking it home with them because that's their nature. That's what they're like. And that's what the devil's like. The thief, Jesus called him. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his nature. What does he want to steal? Every blessing that God has ever given you, that's what he wants to steal. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your health. He wants to steal your happiness. He wants to steal your children. He wants to steal your marriage. He wants to steal your business, your job, your career. Everything that you have, a blessing from God, he wants to steal it. And give him half a chance, he will. He's an expert at it. Did you see the program the other night about pickpockets? A whole lot of them should be in jail. I don't know why they're making a program about them. Maybe I didn't watch the whole thing. Maybe they are in jail now. I don't know. They should be. But they're so good at it, aren't they? Just bump into you and before you know it, your wallet's gone or your mobile's gone or your treasure belt's gone or whatever's gone. You wouldn't even know. They're just experts at it. You wouldn't even know they'd done it. And they brag about it. And they're good at it. And lots of practice to do it. Well, the devil wants to pick your pocket. He wants to clean you out, rob you blind, because he's a thief. That's what he does. Jesus said that's who he is. He wants to destroy. The word there means to devastate, to ruin, to rack. To smash into your life and just destroy everything that God has blessed you with. That is his aim against you. Is it any wonder the Bible tells us to wear the armor of God against all the wiles, the strategies of the devil? Any wonder we have to do that? Because that's what his business is. To steal and to kill the word for kill there is not the word in the ordinary sense of the word kill. It's actually to do with animal sacrifices. Where an animal is sacrificed onto something or someone. And what it's implying is that the devil wants to come to you and make you feel that you're going to have to sacrifice everything, including the blessings God has given you. Well, we say, well, we don't deserve God's blessing. That's true. None of us do. 
forget about this business about deserving. None of us deserve. It's only by the grace of God that we have anything from God. It's only through His grace. We don't deserve anything. But the devil will make you turn around and make you feel. Well, you know, you don't deserve that, so you shouldn't have that. Hmm. I better give that up because I don't deserve that. It's not right that I should have that. So one way or another, he wants to come into your life and take away from you. He wants to diminish you. He wants to shortchange you. He's the one who wants to rob you and to take away from you. Jesus says, but I am come that you might have. That's a plus, isn't it? Does that mean we're all going to become multimillionaires? No, not even talking about that. That's why I started off saying that Christ can come to a billionaire and say that you might have. But there's a quality of life in Christ that he wants you to have that the devil doesn't want you to have. There's a peace in Christ. There's a joy in Christ. There's a safety in Christ. There's an eternal purpose in Christ. There's a calling in Christ. There are gifts in Christ. There are blessings in Christ. So much in Christ that we have that the enemy of your soul does not want you to have. And his aim is, is to strip you from it, to take it away. So we've got to be on our guard, amen? But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. Zoe, life, the very life of God in you. The quality of life that God has imparted to you. And that's what makes us tick as believers, isn't it? It's not a natural life. It's not an ordinary life. It's a life that God imparts by his spirit into your spirit that makes the difference in this life and will make the difference in eternity. Trust me. I am come that you might have life and that you may have it in abundance. There is more for us than what we presently have. Much more. And our goal is, and I trust that it is, is to go after that and say, God, I want everything that you've got for my life. I want it. And I'm not going to allow the devil to rob me of it. I'm not going to allow that kleptomaniac to come in and to pick my pockets and to steal everything I've got as a blessing from your hand. I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to use it for your glory. I'm going to be the best steward of it as I can possibly be, and I'm going to use it to honor you and to bless you and to bless your kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Sometimes you have to say enough is enough. Sometimes you look at what the enemy has stole. You have to say, well, enough is enough. I'm going to get that back. I'm going to get my kids back. 
I'm going to get my marriage back on track again. I'm going to get my finances back. I'm going to get my health and strength back. I'm going to get everything back the enemy has stole from me, and then some. Lord, we thank you for every blessing that you have put within our lives. Spiritual blessings, physical blessings, material blessings. Everything, Lord, that you have given out of your generosity and goodness towards us. We give you thanks today. But Lord, we're conscious and aware that there is an evil one who wants to take that from us. And so today, according to your word, we resist that enemy. We resist his advances. We resist every attempt he has to try to steal from us. And Lord, what he has stolen from us, we're going to claim it back again in Jesus' name. Lord, we're not going to rest and be content until we have everything that you had planned for us to have. Every good thing, Lord, that you have planned and purposed for our lives, we're going to receive it in Jesus' name. So thank you for the days that lie ahead. Thank you for the promises, Lord, that are yet outstanding. Thank you, Lord, for the handfuls of purpose that you have already placed across our path. Thank you, Lord, for the days that are coming in which we will receive your strength and your grace and your power. And we will receive every good thing from your hand that you have planned. So we bless you this day. We thank you for all of it. But most of all, above all things, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The very gift of life that you give, Father, through your Son on the cross. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts today for so great salvation, for this life in Christ, for the redemption price that was paid on Calvary. We thank you, Father, for your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, should we have nothing in this life, only Jesus, then, Lord, that in itself would be more than enough. So we have much to be grateful and thankful for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.